If you're a mom, you're a superhero. That's right, own it. We possess a unique superpower of intuition, a sixth sense for what our kids are up to, how they feel, what they want, and when they want it. Yep, it's amazing. I call this mom sense. Oftentimes, we are Googling for answers, joining Facebook groups, or relegating to taking unsolicited advice from our friends when all we have to do is listen to that voice inside us. No, not the one that's telling you you're fat. The other voice, the one that seems to know everything when it comes to your kids and leaves you feeling confident, empowered, purposeful, and all things hashtag mom goals. Hi, I'm Kanika Chadda Gupta, and I'm a mother of twin toddlers and a baby, double the fun plus one. And I can honestly say that now that I'm a mom, I feel like my life is just getting started. On my podcast, I interview industry experts and real life mamas on their mom sense experiences, tackling topics like how to teach kids to meditate, what it takes to have the marriage you've always dreamed of, and how to master your car makeup routine. Grab your latte, that's probably ice cold by now, and take a listen to That's Total Mom Sense. When I found out I was pregnant, the first thing my sister-in-law gave me was the book, What to Expect When You're Expecting. Since the early 1980s, it's been the Bible of a mother-to-be's pregnancy journey. And now we have apps like The Bump, Ovia, Sprout, WebMD Pregnancy, and more that walk us through each trimester week by week, illustrating how our baby goes from being the size of a blueberry to a watermelon. But what happens next? How come we aren't as informed about what happens during postpartum? I personally asked my OBGYN a bajillion questions, and she was a fellow twin mom, so had a lot of advice relevant to my situation. During my hospital stay after my C-section, I must have befriended at least six RNs who were taking care of me during their various shifts, and they were all very helpful and chatty and didn't hesitate to give me their two cents. And of course, I was searching every topic under the sun on Google and YouTube from how long does it take to recover from a C-section to when will my milk come in? On this episode, I'm going to do a crash course on what to expect after you have your baby or babies and how to feel mentally prepared with all the things that happen after pregnancy. Essentially, what to expect when you're done expecting. My guest today is intrepid mother of two, Dr. Tharane Shirazian, Dr. Tara for short. She's an OBGYN, practicing gynecologic surgeon, and an assistant professor at NYU Langone Medical Center in New York City. Dr. Tara is recognized as an international leader in global women's health and a frequently cited expert in this field. She launched a company called Mommy Matters because, a simple truth, women everywhere find it hard to focus on their own comfort and recovery during pregnancy and after childbirth. Mom takes care of everyone else, but who takes care of mom? Mommy Matters has products including a pregnancy pillow and postpartum kit. Dr. Tara is also the founder of Saving Mothers, a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to eradicating preventable maternal deaths and birth-related complications in low-resource settings. Saving Mothers believes no woman should die giving life. Dr. Shirazian, we are so excited to have you on That's Total Mom Sense. Thank you for joining us and helping us through our pregnancy journeys. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. 
We aptly titled this episode, What to Expect When You're Done Expecting. Um, I feel like we all have so many friends, including ourselves, um, that if you're not in the medical field, uh, you have no clue what to expect with labor and you know what to do next after pregnancy. Um, so this is going to clear up a lot of those uh, misconceptions and, and question marks for us. So first, if you could just shed light on what happens to our bodies during pregnancy. So pregnancy is a very exciting and sort of challenging time on the body specifically. Um, There are lots of new hormones that spike once the actual embryo implants in the lining of the uterus. And so from the very beginning of pregnancy, you get a surge in hormones that you don't typically have, like beta HCG, which then causes you to feel all sorts of things, nausea being one of the kind of major symptoms of early pregnancy. Um, And it is because of that hormone, the beta HCG. Um, So as the pregnancy starts to grow and develop and the placenta starts to grow and sort of feed the embryo, lots of things happen to the body your total blood volume increases tremendously. And so part of what you feel when you're pregnant, that bloating, sort of the gaining weight, the fluid distribution is really because of that increase in blood flow. Um, And so that's one of those major sort of early changes that people often don't realize. And then as the pregnancy itself starts to grow and the uterus grows, Basically, everything changes. Your back muscles start to work harder. Your ribs shift to accommodate this huge pregnant belly. <laughs> um, you know, your hormones are in flux. The, a woman's body is, is pretty amazing in terms of how much it can change um, over the course of a pregnancy. So, so all of which woman will feel in terms of shifts in her hormone, waking, bloating, nausea, back pain, um, you know, her breasts start to increase and become engorged and prepare for milk production. So um, everything that you're feeling is normal for the most part. I mean, there, clearly there are some, you know, exceptions, but, but, um, but all, of, all of those things are within the umbrella of normal. Yes. Okay. Um, I personally had twins and so I, I got huge. <laughs> um, and I, I want to know, were my organs shifting more to be able to accommodate two fetuses in my uterus? Uh, probably because your pregnancy was growing at a, your uterus was growing at a faster rate. So you were always measuring larger than a singleton would measure, even mm-hmm. if each baby is smaller, you know, than, than a singleton baby would be. Um, so the answer to that is yes, your body has to grow even more, accommodate even more. You have to gain more weight. You have more blood flow everywhere. So Definitely. Tell us about the frequency of appointments and why we're visiting our OBGYNs, um, you know, every week in that last trimester. Yeah, so prenatal care is extremely important. I do a lot of work globally, and women often don't come in for their prenatal care appointments. And it's super important because at the prenatal visit, we pick up high-risk pregnancies, we pick up complications. Um, in the setting of twins, you know, we're really looking at 
um, your blood pressure towards the end, making sure you don't develop complications like preeclampsia, make sure you don't develop, maybe make sure the baby is growing appropriately and you don't develop issues with the fetus, um, make sure there's nothing new going on. So I think that, that going in weekly is extremely important for both the mother and the baby. Okay. And what is our blood work and our urine samples actually testing for? I mean, the biggest thing is preeclampsia. So making sure you don't develop this complication of pregnancy, which is relatively common as far as complications go. I would say about 20% of women have preeclampsia. And it's a rise in your blood pressure coupled with protein in your urine. You can also look for signs of diabetes in the urine, like excess sugar being spilled. Um, So I would say the biggest one is the preeclampsia, but also we look at things like gestational diabetes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, some of the symptoms that, you know, friends of mine are actually sharing with me and, you know, I went through myself, um, the, the nausea, the morning sickness is not in the morning. It's a misnomer. It's always in the yeah. evening. Right. Why, why are we nauseous at that time? And, and is it like acid reflux or, or anything like that that we can control? It can be, but you often can't control acid reflux, by the way, <laughs> because because another sort of physiologic change is that sphincter that's between the esophagus and the stomach. It relaxes naturally in pregnancy because of the hormones. So um, you're much more likely to get that reflux, not through any fault of your own, just again, through those normal physiologic changes. So that's why short, small meals are so important, not taking in too much at once, kind of listening to your body and making sure also you're not overeating. I think sometimes women are compensating because they feel like, you know, they're always nauseous or their their acid is always going. Um, but yeah, it could happen anytime because that relaxation is always when you're pregnant and you might just notice it in the evening because you kind of unwind and slow down. So a lot of symptoms women will notice more in the evening, especially if they're working or doing other things through the day. That makes sense. Okay. Another TMI topic, but one that I want to, you know, have you answer for a lot of women is hemorrhoids. Like what is the percentage of of women who, who get that and is it, you know, common and how to deal with it? Extremely, extremely common. Um, you know, I don't know the exact percent, but I would definitely put it above 50. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason is there's all this stress because of the growing weight and pregnancy. There's all this stress on the pelvic floor. And so you have that pressure on the pelvic floor. A lot of women are, are constipated when they're pregnant through, again, the flux and the hormones. Um, and so some of the ways to manage it, just making sure you're hydrated draining enough, eating those fiber-rich foods, um, try not to strain excessively if you can avoid it, which again is hard. Um, and then with top with uh, hemorrhoids themselves, you can try those topical like preparation H and other you know topical things you buy in the pharmacy. They're all they're safe in pregnancy and you know likely to be helpful. <laughs> so. Yes, yeah, it, it's, and you can use it as a uh, under eye like <laughs> it's supposed to help with puffiness. Um, another question is on, um, on how you can detect if a fetus has chromosomal abnormalities or autism. Is that something that can be done in modern day? 
Uh, autism is completely separate. And so we don't know what causes autism. And no, we don't have any good test for it um, prenatally or even preconception. Um, but chromosome abnormalities absolutely can be tested for. And that we do now with um, cell-free DNA in the first trimester. We do it through blood work. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's fairly accurate, very, very accurate, actually. Um, but we also have the more traditional ways to test for chromosomes, including uh, CVS and amniocentesis. Um, if you wind up doing IVF, Clearly, they test for it prior to implantation. So chromosome abnormalities, things like Down syndrome and trisomies and other chromosomal issues, we do test for regularly. Yes. Right. Okay. Okay. Now let's move on to the labor and birthing process. Um, so leading up to that, what is ideal? Like, is it, you know, feeling contractions? I guess you don't want to have that, you know, movie scenario of your water breaking. Is that right? Well, so the be- so I guess the question is, what's the sort of the best scenario to go into the yeah. hospital? The mm-hmm. best scenario is definitely to kind of be in labor, which is it's difficult because if it's your first pregnancy, you know, you start to feel contractions, you start to feel uncomfortable, and you think, okay, I'm just going to go into the hospital, but. Some contractions, you know, especially in that very early, what we call latent labor phase, they can last for for a few days before they're actually active. Mm -hmm. Um, So you want timed, regular contractions. Optimally, like every five minutes is great. If you feel like you're contracting about every five minutes and you've been doing that for a few hours, that's usually a good time to go in. But if you have other warning signs, like you start bleeding profusely, you don't feel the baby moving clearly, you should go in earlier. Um, And um, as far as breaking your water, we like for women to go in after breaking their water just because we monitor, you know, for infection and we make sure that the, the membranes are not ruptured for too, too long. Okay. And when your water breaks, that basically means that the, um, uh, amniotic sac has burst? Yes. It means the amniotic sac has burst, but it doesn't tell us anything about where you are in the labor process. Mm-hmm. Some people break their water and then they don't go into labor for like a true labor for another you know, day. Oh, wow. um, some women break their water in active labor. So mm-hmm. they're contracting and they're like, we know they're going to be five or six centimeters dilated and, you know, they break their water. Okay. But others are not even one centimeter dilated and break their water. So there is a range to that. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so contractions, do they feel like, you know, the Braxton Hicks kind of contractions that we feel during pregnancy where our um, stomach feels like it's kind of frozen up? Is that what they feel like? I actually, my water broke and I didn't feel my contractions. So I I can't speak to this, but um, yeah, if you can just kind of illustrate what those sensations would feel like. Yeah, they feel slightly differently in each person, I would say, but sometimes it feels like that Braxton Hicks contraction where it's a knot that then releases, Mm -hmm. and that can be like in the front of your belly that you feel it, and then for others, it's in their low back. Again, that contraction and the releasing of it, Um, and it's a regular thing, so it's like 
it can it it sort of um, you know tightens and releases, tightens and releases, and it's it becomes more regular as time goes on. So that's how women know that those contractions are increasing and they need to go in. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, and are you allowed to just hop in the shower for a quick bath if your water breaks, or should you just? you know, like, uh, realize that, nope, I got to stop everything I'm doing and head to the hospital because you want to make sure that you don't, you know, have any infection. <laughs> well, I think, a you know, a bath where you sit in the tub, if your water hasn't broken, um, it probably is okay. You're probably not going to introduce any infection, but I think a hot shower where you're standing up and the shower is kind of hitting your low back is very soothing for a lot of women. So a lot of women like that, you know, just to see if they can be more comfortable with those contractions. Right. Um, they might take like a hot shower and see if it, it comforts them some. Um, but clearly you don't have to bathe before you go into the hospital. It's all, you know, what you feel comfortable with. Okay. Good to know that you can if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what if your baby is breached? What happens then? Well, if your baby, if you know your baby is a breach presentation and you start contracting, you all bets are off. You need to go immediately to the hospital. Mm -hmm. So unlike what I was saying about labor and sort of just seeing how regular the contractions are, maybe taking a shower for those, those are all for women who know that the, the baby's head down or vertex. When the infant is breached, you want to go in immediately because once you start dilating, a lot of complications can arise. Mm -hmm. So you want to be in the hospital immediately. And most breach deliveries are C-section right. um, to avoid any complications. In the United States, we very rarely do breach extractions due to the level of complications present with a breach delivery. Right, right. Um, and so the in an ideal world, you want to make it to 40 weeks and 38 or so if you're having more than one? Um, 39 um, minimum, we hope, for, you know, term labor, basically, for singletons. And for twins, yeah, we, you know, we wait. Clearly, the body's going to go into labor when it goes into labor, but we're not going to induce labor in women who have one baby at less than 39 weeks, preferably. And for twins, you know, we try at least to reach 37. Um, so that's sort of how we think about when to induce. But the body will go into labor when it goes into labor. <laughs> There's little, little to do to, you know, stop that. So right. it, even with preterm labor, you know, the, the, the medications and the ways to stop it are minimal. We can't really, we cannot stop true preterm labor. So, mm -hmm. yeah. What happens minute by minute with a natural birth and then a C-section? If you can walk us through that. So, well, you know, as I said, everybody's a little bit different. So minute, minute to minute is hard, but mm -hmm. um, in natural labor, there is a progression in terms of the frequency of contractions, the strength of contractions, the dilation of the cervix. Um, so if when you're in active labor, labor, these things are changing, you know, literally hourly. Um, and so they're progressing. The cervix is opening and dilating up to 10 centimeters. The baby is moving down the birth passage, you know, until the head is crowning at the what we call the perineum, until you can actually see the baby's hair. 
um, you know, on the perineum or outside the vagina and you're delivering. And in a C-section, it's quite different. That, that sort of depends on what's happening at the time that you're sectioned. Are you having a scheduled C-section? Were you in labor for 24 hours and then you're sectioned? Did the baby's heart rate drop when you had the C-section? You know, what, what were the circumstances? But a C-section involves making an incision um, in the lower abdomen, two centimeters above what we call the pubic synthesis, and then extracting the baby manually from the uterus and then suturing the uterus up mm. and closing everything in layers. Um, so, and, yeah. and with the delivery, so there's the delivery of the baby, then the cord, then the placenta? The baby is attached to the cord. So, at, yes, basically, the baby's delivered, the cord is with it, you're clamping the cord, cutting the cord, and then delivering the placenta. Okay. Okay. Um, I was so, so impressed that, you know, with a C-section, this happened in a matter of, like, five to seven minutes. Yes. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> an emergency C-section, the whole thing is done in a matter of, like, ten minutes. We're trying to very quickly extract the baby and, you know, make sure the baby's out and delivered because it's an emergency. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Well, tell us what it's like, you know, being on the other side of the curtain um, and seeing this happen in the OR all the time. What is it like when it's touch and go like that? I mean, it's amazing when you deliver a baby, you're worried about the baby, you deliver the baby, the baby comes out screaming. That's one, you know, it's wonderful. It's what mm -hmm. makes, you know, everything worth it. Um, you know, when the babies aren't doing so well, it's tough. Mm -hmm. So I think we see the whole gamut. Um, and yeah. we see all the good, we see all the bad, which is, you know, why we're probably always very like moderate in what we recommend too, because sometimes things don't go well and sometimes there are complications. Right, right. There's a lot of staff, you know, involved in birthing a baby. Um, yes. Can you tell us about who those people are? And yeah. Do hospitals, you, you know, hospitals are really about minimizing your risk and complication. Really, that's, we don't want anything bad to happen sort of ever. So everything is organized to minimize that possibility. So there's always like, you know, in an OR, there's going to be two nurses, there's going to be two anesthesiologists, there's going to be someone who's scrubbed at the table who's handing off instruments, there's going to be a surgeon, an assistant, you know, um, there's going to be like at least half a dozen people, maybe more in the OR at any particular time and a lot of activity. Right. And the same thing in the hospital room especially if things aren't going as planned. You're going to have like a team of people swarm in there immediately. And that's why sometimes it can get scary and unpredictable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, but I mean, I think, you know, more than anything, having a whole army backing you up um, is definitely yes. a, a good feeling. <laughs> yes. It's all there for the woman. Um, and it's all there to optimize you know, success, basically. Right. So what is an epidural and, you know, what are the effects? And like, you know, is there a certain um, window of time where uh, the woman can decide, yes, I want one or no, I don't want one? 
Well, theoretically, you can get an epidural at any time, but the the main thing is you have to be able to sort of sit for it. So I think sometimes when you're crowning, when maybe the baby is right there on the perineum, it would be tough to actually sit to get it or even lie on your side to get it. Um, But theoretically, you can get it at any time. Um, The optimal time to get it is probably when you're in active labor. Um, Historically, there had been reports that it slows down the labor, but there's also reports that it doesn't slow it down much. So why not be comfortable for the hours in which you're in labor? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's really meant to be, you know, for the mother, for her comfort, for the ease of being able to labor, you know, for hours on end. Right. And yeah. essentially, you know, it makes your entire lower half of your body go numb for yeah. an amount of hours. Yeah. Right? yeah. You still will feel pressure, mm-hmm. um, which is important because when it comes time to push, you will still feel that pressure to push. Right. Um, but it will take away that pain. Yes. Okay. And so then when you have the epidural, is it around the same time that, um, you know, a catheter is inserted and that way, Um, urine passes through there because I guess you don't have the sensations to do it, right? Right. Because you're not going to feel like urinating. You're not going to feel that sensation to urinate. So um, the catheter takes care of that for you. Okay. Yeah. And then actually that goes back to another question I have is, is that also why we're not supposed to eat anything before pregnancy? Because you can't have um, a urination or bowel movement to happen while Um, no, that's sort of more, um, in the circumstance that you need a, an emergency surgery. Mm. So it's sort of like in hospitals, we prepare for the worst. So it's sort of like, although we anticipate that everything will go smoothly, we don't want women eating because, or eating large meals, at least, you know, some places will allow you to drink. Um, because in the small chance that you will need something like an emergency section, We don't want you to be at increased risk because of the food, you know, because of aspirating the food that you've eaten. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, uh, Regarding natural births, um, you know, how common is it to need an episiotomy? And if you can explain like how that procedure works. You know, it used to be decades ago, um, women would automatically get an episiotomy at delivery. Mm -hmm. Thank God that is not practiced anymore. So uh, literally episiotomies are only if, um, you know, the well, two reasons I would say. One, you want to quickly deliver a baby in the event of like the shoulder being trapped or some other complication. So you want to create some more room in order to optimize that delivery. Mm-hmm. You would cut an episiotomy. Or two, you have a very large infant and you're going to tear. So having an episiotomy is going to be a more controlled way to, you know, um, to have the cut and to repair it. Okay. Generations ago, um, you know, forceps were used pretty widely. Are they still the case if you have a, a big baby? In some circumstances, forceps are still used, but they definitely have decreased in terms of frequency. There are much less providers that have been trained in forceps and much less forceps being used. Yeah. Okay. Um, And now on to C-sections. So 
Um, I, I think that there still tends to be kind of a stigma around them. Uh, many people, you know, prefer the natural birth and and don't want to have to have a C. And when they do, um, if they have to schedule one, um, you know, as per doctor's orders, or if they have to have an emergency C, it just, you know, it like causes this like bottle of nerves, right? So if you can tell us. Um, you know, I guess the efficacies of C-sections and um, and why, like how prone are you to infection and that kind of thing? What are the stats behind it? Yeah. So um, if you are a woman who wants to have many, many children, it is probably not the best to have the C-sections because C-section, with each C-section, your risk of at surgery does increase. So, you know, in general, we don't try and overdo sections because the risk over the course of a woman's lifetime will increase if she keeps having C-sections. That having been said, it's not the end of the world if you've had a if you have a C-section because there are lots of advantages to a, having a scheduled surgery, mm-hmm. <laughs> having walk a right scheduled in. delivery, you know, being able to walk in, have your baby walk out. Um, so I think that there are pluses and there are minuses, but I think the big thing with it is no one should feel like a failure if they have a C-section, you know? Um at right. the end of the day, it's all about being a healthy mom, all about your health and about walking out of there healthy and good and having a healthy baby. So, you know, if it turns out you need a C-section, it's okay. No big yeah. deal. Um, and it is, it's all about optimizing your health and success. So, Right, right. Um, and then now on to like V-backs. Um, so that's vaginal. Um, after, after C-section. C-section. Yeah. Um, so are those, um, you know, not as common now? They're not as common because some of the risks really increase with feedback, which mm-hmm. I think made people sort of less inclined to want to offer them. Right. Um, but in certain situations, VBACs, I think, are fine and people do well with them. Um yeah, but we just, you know, it's not as, again, there are more variables. So there's more risks with VBAC rather than having a scheduled section. So on to the aftermath. Now, mother is with baby and, you know, she has um, her own room and, you know, is kind of getting to know this new life that she's created. So what do we expect from this recovery process? Um, you know, there's RNs and your doctor in and out of your room and I feel like they're checking vitals and the IV and so much is going on. So if you can kind of paint a picture of, of what to expect after you're with baby. Right. So I think as far as the mom goes, there are lots of new things, both that you're feeling emotionally and that you're feeling physically. So um you know, as far as the, the emotional goes, you've just had sort of this release and uh, like immediate decline in your hormones. And so it's very common to feel fatigued and sad and anxious and, you know, all of those, we call it postpartum blues, which is very, very common in women right after delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, and so recognizing that those feelings um, may be normal, um, but if they persist, they also may not. So it's sort of like just 
recognizing how you're feeling. And then um, the physical, the bleeding, the pain, the perineal pain, the swelling, if you've had a C-section, the incisional pain, the abdominal pain, difficulty moving and urinating and all those things, right, in that immediate postpartum. Um, and so I think all those things are normal, um, but, you know, clearly we want to optimize how we're feeling and, you know, do what we can to make ourselves feel better. Sure, sure. Um, now, coming back to the connection with the baby, I think so many women right afterwards wonder, when is my milk going to come in? So. Right. Yeah, when does that physical change happen? With well, the and then it's the a, yeah, it's a little faster with the vaginal delivery than it is with the C-section. Um, and with the vaginal delivery, I will say it's usually within a good like three to six hours after delivery, usually. Okay. Mm -hmm. And with the C-section, it can be much longer. It, could, it can even take a good like 24, even more hours for, for milk letdown to happen because the body hasn't been primed in the same way. Mm -hmm. so, um, but even if you don't have a full amount of milk coming in, you know, those first few days, you're not, you might not have like sort of the main milk production. You're just going to have that colostrum, which is that little bit of milky sort of substance coming um, but that's also really, really important. So um, absolutely breastfeed and give it a try and, you know, do as much of it as you can. But again, we want women to be forgiving, mothers to be forgiving of themselves. So you all, we all do what we can, whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. You, you should make the decision that works best for you and for your yeah. child. Um, and then what I think is great is, you know, most hospitals have a lactation consultant visit you shortly after your delivery. Absolutely. And so they walk you through everything. They're like, this is the hospital grade pump. And, you know, we're going to show you how to use it because um, all these things are totally foreign. You know, I've, I've seen yeah. before pregnancy, I looked at pump parts and the bra thinking like, this looks like a torture device and I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. um, what's great is that you have personnel on staff that um, help, you know, kind of acclimate you uh, to all of these things. Uh, back to recovery um, of, of, the, of the mother. So how long is it normal to be, um, to be bleeding if you have a natural or C-section? And then also when should we, um, you know, kind of walk around and, and be mobile again? Well, you should try and get up and move around as quickly as possible because walking really helps with recovery. Mm. Um, it helps with getting rid of the, the excess fluid. It helps with pain. Um, it helps with gas pain and fluid redistribution. Redi so walking is extremely key. Bleeding can last a while, six to eight weeks even. Um, and it is it can be very heavy for those first you know few weeks and it can stop and start again. So bleeding can be very unpredictable in that postpartum period. Um, okay, so in the six okay. week recovery period, is that how long it is um, before you can work out again? and have sex again, like do anything like your normal self? <laughs> um, well, that varies. I think part of it depends on how much was happened at your delivery. You know, did you have a huge tear? Did you have a huge episiotomy? How comfortable are you vaginally? 
Um, how comfortable are you after C-section? Um, but we usually do say about six weeks for things like sex and for major activity at the gym. But clearly leading up to that, you can be walking, you can do, be gradually increasing the amount of your physical activity, to sort of see how you feel and how it goes. Um, tell us about Mommy Matters. Yeah, so Mommy Matters is all about creating efficient, effective, health-enhanced products for women. Um, I have two children of my own, and being an OBGYN, I really feel like there were a number of areas where there was an unmet need in health product for women in pregnancy and at recovery. And so our first product line is an ode to empowering the um, the pregnant woman. Uh, the first product is actually a portable pregnancy pillow that's meant to be for the working pregnant woman, which I think very few people sort of acknowledge that pregnant women also work. So yeah. <laughs> anything that sort of enhances their comfort and recovery throughout the workday is extremely important. So this portable discrete pillow is meant to be taken everywhere with you. You take it to work, you sit on the subway, the train, you're at your desk at work with it. It has a heating element. It accommodates the growing pregnancy um, by providing ongoing lumbar and low back support. You can also use it behind the neck. So it has a variety of functions and it's basically, you know, to empower our pregnant working woman and you can use it in recovery as well. Actually, when I first developed it, I was also thinking you could take it to the hospital when you're pushing in order to, um, you know, have low back support with heat throughout the pushing process. Um, So I think there's like a number of ways that you can use it and postpartum as well. You know, um, we were talking about nursing earlier. I think, you know, you can lie on your side and put it under your belly and nurse. You can um, put it under the baby and and nurse the baby. So there's so many ways to use it, Um, but it is meant to be empowering. And the proceeds from the pillow go back to our global nonprofit called Saving Mothers, which is a nonprofit dedicated to reducing death in pregnancy and at delivery. Wow. So we bring things full circle. Yes, I love that. Not only are you helping pregnant women everywhere, um, but you're helping those who don't have the access to these resources. That's incredible. That's incredible. And we want to empower every woman to be part of this movement for mothers everywhere. You can buy a really good, effective product for yourself, and we will automatically give back to women of the world um, and to optimize their risks at pregnancy and at delivery. Um, and so the, the pillow is first, but the second item is a postpartum underwear. It's a panty that's for the recovery process. So I'm so glad we're talking about recovery. <laughs> And um, recovery um, is a very, like we just said, uncomfortable period of time. So the underwear is meant to be cooling. It has a cooling element to it. It has a super absorbent crotch for the excess bleeding that you have at delivery. It has a mesh open weave um, around like uh, a C-section incision. It's flexible and breathable. And it's meant to be an enhanced underwear for the recovering pregnant, recovering woman. So Wow. And these are machine washable? Machine washable. Um, and as I said, the crotch is super absorbent. So you can use a pad if you're not bleeding as heavy and you don't want to, you don't have to. So there's that element. Oh my goodness. Well. 
Wow. I wish I had this when I was uh, delivering my three kids. Uh, <laughs> that's incredible because everyone I know just used to like ask for extra <laughs> mesh underwear yeah. and you're wearing these like mile long pads and you know, it's, and they still leak and it's, it's just a whole awful, awful process. So that's great that you're solving that problem for, for women. Um, and then there's also like an, a heal and restore essentials kit. What, what's in that? So that's our recovery kit. Um, and that's going to have the few items that a mom needs for herself at recovery. So it'll include the underwear. It'll, there'll be an anesthetic spray that's sort of enhanced that will allow for topical anesthetic relief. Um, there will be an essential oil just for kind of a calming, soothing effect for the mom. There are nipple guards with lanolin cream in them. Um, so a few like sort of medically enhanced products that will allow for a better recovery. And we envision this on like a baby registry or as a gift, you know, or a mom could buy for herself or a family could buy it for her clearly. But again, it's all about prioritizing the woman and prioritizing the mother. Right. And all of our products aim to do that, to kind of showcase both the work that we do here and the work we do globally and make each woman part of our, what, what I like to call the Mommy Matters movement, where everything we do goes back to women and mothers and mothers globally. So where can we purchase um, you know, items from Mommy Matters? Yes. So our website is mommymatters.com. So you can see all the products there. The first product, the pillow, is actually currently available on Amazon. So if you go to amazon.com, you can search Mommy Matters pillow and it will come up. Um, and yeah, it makes a great gifting item as well if you don't need it for yourself. But I just encourage everyone to, to pick it up, give it a try. Um, give back to both themselves and to mothers globally and to kind of join us in this effort to make women's health and mother's health a priority both right. here and everywhere in the world. Absolutely. And what about Saving Mothers? How can we learn more about your nonprofit? Yes. So our nonprofit is at savingmothers.org. You can see all the initiatives that we have globally, all of our low-cost, high-impact programs, our training programs, and everything we do globally to empower women and to empower the providers that take care of women. Wonderful. I have a few questions that I love asking um, my guests. One is your mom sense moment, one moment where you truly trusted your sixth sense. And our, one of our very first trips, um, we went to Guatemala. We got we got sort of asked to come there because there was a mudslide there that had basically decimated um, the the women that and the population that were living in the very rural area on the mountainside. And so they had set up this like makeshift hospital clinic. Um, and one of the first people that came into that clinic was a woman who had lost all of her children in the mudslide, actually her whole family. Um, it was very sad. And she was pregnant. And um, and I just said, you know what, we need, and she was term, 
she she's term she needs to deliver and who knows what's going to happen if we send her home like she can't even reach her home you know it's everything's been destroyed um and we scanned her and actually we found that the baby was breech and had very little fluid so we made the decision to do a c-section right then because the baby was term we did all the measurements baby looked term look healthy and so we delivered this baby and um the woman was so grateful she was just so happy because basically this newborn was now you know her only family so it was one of those times where I'm just really glad that I said, you know, no, she doesn't go home. Like, she's going to deliver today. We need to find her an anesthesiologist. We need to get the OR set up. You know, we can't let her go home. This is our moment to um, change her life and make it, you know, fuller and better. Let's not forget our quote of the day. What is a quote that you live by that you could share with us? Don't call me lucky. Call me badass. <laughs> and and, I, love and it. I like it because so many people will be so many people will be like, oh, well, that just happened because you know you got lucky, right? And mm-hmm. and so you know, it's about a lot of times in life, it's about more than luck. It's about sure it is helping shape your luck, right? About the hard work you do every day to shape those outcomes. So I I don't think that when we say, oh, you got lucky, that that's really giving people the credit that they should get. So. So true. Yeah. You have to kind of create opportunities for yourself. They don't just happen. Absolutely. It's a lot of hard work. A lot of, a lot of quote unquote lucky people are very hardworking. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, we have to change our perspective on that one. Um, So tell us um, anything that you might have not covered in in our episode today. Please come and support us in any way that makes sense. But we would love for you guys to pick up our products or, you know, visit us at savingmothers.org. Follow us on, you know, social media you know, all those ways would be wonderful, but, you know, help us grow the Mommy Matters movement. Yes, we definitely will. We are so supportive of you and um, we look up to you for creating such a movement for us to follow. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Shrazian. Thank you so much for having me, Kanika. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I hope you got some great takeaways from my chat with Dr. Tara. She's incredible, isn't she? Not only is she a mother herself, she helps other moms deliver their babies and take care of themselves first and foremost. Tune in to other episodes and browse my YouTube videos and blog posts on my website, thatstotalmomsense.com. If you have any suggestions for show topics or guests I should invite on the show or seeking advice with your own personal journey or just want to say hi, I'd love to hear from you. Write to me at thatstotalmomsense at gmail.com. And remember, always trust your mom sense. Stay strong, super mamas. See you next time. That's total mom sense.